When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, January 14th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Real Vision co-founder Raul Pal. Raul, it's great to see you. And it's been nonstop, right? You've done like, what, a half a dozen interviews in the I, past I know. few days coming into how, this hot? And I don't know how it's Friday. It should be Wednesday as far as I was. It's like, Friday? No, it can't be. <laughs> but now I've got to the Friday afternoon. I'm kind of ready for the weekend. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are probably saying, thank God it's Friday, because it's been a really sort of volatile feeling beginning of the year, kind of intense uh, market week with a lot of information. This is the first time we're actually doing the daily briefing together this year. So, well, we did what, it live. We did it live in yes, uh, Vegas. Yes. Um, but what, what do you make of the market action so far? I mean, where's your head? So my head is the market is still thrashing around with oh my God, look at the inflation numbers versus some underlying changes going on. So there's rotations going on, which makes everything feel super choppy. There's a, every bear is shouting, oh my God, the Fed are going to raise rates, everything's going to crash. There's the deflationists who I would count myself into that camp saying, well, the, the, the world won't take higher rates. And if you raise the rate of inflation higher, faster than the uh, than wages, you're going to see consumption fall. So there's this battle going on in the markets right now and in narratives. And obviously, the inflation narrative has been has taken hold. But I'm starting to see forward-looking indicators suggesting that it's not going to stick. Uh, and that's contentious in itself. So everyone wants to throw poo at each other over Twitter, even suggesting that, that that's happening. But that's the world <laughs> we live in. It's, it's so true. This is a time when there's very little consensus. It's confusing for people. Yes, it is. And that's usually what happens when you're at the end of a particular market regime. So, you know, you're starting to see the two different narratives fighting for control. And it feels like that's the situation we're in. Doesn't mean it happens overnight. You know, I think market volatility is the outcome for a while longer until people get comfortable with, okay, what is happening? Now, it's pretty straightforward to me is if the bond market, if we look at the yield curve, it's flattening. If that breaks those recent lows, it's telling us the Fed cannot raise um, significantly more or even the four times that they're talking about. So then we will start to see the 10-year bond yields peaking out. That would be at the top of that long-term trend, the chart of truth, as I call it, which is the 30-year channel um, of bond yields. At about 2% is the top of that channel. Sometimes at the peak of the cycle, it goes to a little bit through, 25 basis points through. So somewhere around then, you'd start to see the reversion. We're starting to see the ISM, ISM new orders, the ECRI. We're starting to see retail sales today. Mm. All sorts of indicators saying um, the Atlanta Fed came and revised down growth this morning in their um, Fed Now model. So I think that's the macro shift that's underway. And we've seen it as commodities stopped going up, really. Some commodities have rebound, but it's been less clear. 
the inflation trade is less clear in the markets any longer, and we've got this value growth rotation. Um, the the kind of core kind of tech super long names are still getting smashed, mm. but as soon as the bond market turns around, they'll turn around too. So, so th this is really important, and this is why you watch the bond market because you think that that's leading, right? Some of what we're seeing in this rotation is. Um, maybe paying more attention, or is the tail, paying more attention to so, some of the lagging. So if you're a bond trader, your entire job is to analyze inflation and GDP growth. That's it. Mm. If you're an equity trader, you're trading sentiments, you're trading earnings, you're trading buybacks, you're trading all sorts of things. Bond traders do two things, inflation, GDP growth, which is why they tend to be right, because that's what they get paid to do, is look at two things only. Um, so over time, very rare the bond market's wrong. 1994 was the only time in my entire career the bond market's been really wrong about things. So um, I always pay attention to the bond market because I call it, you know, the bond market is the truth. It's the in, the inflation debate is very interesting, isn't it? And and I have to say we 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 are so fortunate to have so many sort of really smart minds, market watchers, a lot of experienced guests coming through the programs on Real Vision, and you've noticed. A lot of them sort of saying what you're saying, that I think it's peaking. I think inflation's peaking. What about the other side of that argument when people say, look at wages and look at things like housing and rent? Those are, you know, you lock in for the year and that isn't even ha started to hit the inflation print. They're all lagged, for starters, because mm -hmm. it's the slowest, hardest thing to do. Secondly, look at wage inflation and think is, is net incremental demand in the economy going up? Well, wage inflation is less than inflation, so we've got negative real wages. Secondly, there are more people leaving the labor force than ever before. The labor force participation rate is super low. Many of those are baby boomers who have high incomes and high earning power. So you're offsetting millennials, giving them an increase. They earn a lot less than they are leaving. So net-net, you've probably got a fall in total demand. And you're seeing it in the numbers already, I believe, which was the um, retail sales numbers that came. Partly it's Omicron, Omicron it's not clear yet. But my, my view is that, that we're actually lowering the trend rate of growth, but people can't see it because we're still dealing with the machinations after, after the pandemic. Yeah. What do you think this means for the Fed then? So my view, and it has been all year, and I've been looking at this whole junction all year because I think it's the bigger trade, is I think the Fed are not going to deliver what they say. Every, I looked at every recession going back to 1963, and almost every single time there is a growth scare early on because the economy's not fully stabilized yet. Mm. So what happens is stimulus comes out of the economy, fiscal stimulus. The Fed start talking about tightening because, because uh, inflation's risen, because the year-on-year -year rates have changed and stuff like that. This time we've got supply issues. And then what happens is, the Fed think about raising, and before you know it, growth evaporates again. And then the Fed actually end up cutting. So I think we will get a couple of rate rises in, potentially, maybe only one. Um, that's my view. Why? Well, because I think by June, I think inflation is back down to 3%, and, and the ISM is probably closer to 52 than it is to 60. So you don't want to tighten into a falling economy going into an election. I know the narrative now is well, they need to tighten to look like they're fighting inflation. Best thing to do is talk tough, get a rate hike in, maybe two 
225 basis points in, then let the la the natural kind of ebbing and flowing of the economy work in your favour. You can say we've beaten inflation, um, and then you can get a stimulus package through. Yeah, take a take a victory lap uh, that we jawboned it before we had to actually do, and then stimulate ahead of the election. I mean, that would be that would be perfect for them. So the, and the reason I dropped my jaw dropped, obviously, we've all seen the headlines, right? You have so many, the market pricing in f at least four, not only interest rate so, hikes, but lots so of here, talk about quantitative tightening. This is so aggressive. Here, yeah. So here's the fact is I saw it yesterday and I've been following this for two decades now. Every single year of my entire career, every single investment bank has predicted rates too high. Without question, a hundred percent forecast error, <laughs> and they do it all the time because they seem to ignore the fact that we're in a secular downtrend driven by demographics, with a massive credit um, a credit bubble. So you can't raise rates. I mean, you can't generate inflation, and you can't raise rates. But they ignore it every time, and every time. I remember last time we hit the chart of truth line which was back in 2018, the last time I was starting to comment about, I think this dynamic's changing. Jeff Gunlack's like, it's breaking the chart of truth. It's going to 6%. The, you know, the world's going to fall apart. I've heard this every three years of my career, and it never happens. Now, is this time different? There's always a probability, mm. but it's not the highest probability to me. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So Robert, uh, who put a question to the RV site, that answered his question. Are they going to raise rate four times? Is this even possible without creating the, uh, cratering the economy? Raul just answered that. We, we do have. So what does this mean for risk assets? We do have people asking about what about this, you know, sell off we've seen in tech. Given that outlook, uh, that you don't expect that action from the Fed, does this does this sort of so, give you any indication of so how what risk makes assets long duration assets? less attractive is not increasing bond yields. It's the inflation that we've had. So you discount it by the inflation. So if the market is wrong in expecting higher inflation for longer, then growth stocks will explode higher again. Because really, let's face it, we live in an exponential age. Anybody who thinks that tech stocks, high growth, long duration tech stocks that are capturing exponential rise of technology are not going to go up again. That can't happen just because of network effects of what's going on. We're not talking about IBM here or GE stock or some of these things can trade sideways for decades, but you can't trade sideways for decades when you've got exponential growth going on. It just, it just can't happen. Now, you can have periods of a year, 18 months of sideways down markets, which we've been seeing, but then what happens is they end up looking ludicrously cheap. Um, versus what's happening. And the moment the inflation story disappears, then everyone piles into growth again. So th that leads us, uh, Eric, asking a second part of his question from the exchange, what about crypto? Crypto's 
it's similar to growth. It's driven by its own network models and adoption. There's a bunch of other stuff. But similar to that, I said crypto had been trading sideways because um, wage growth has not kept up with inflation. So marginal, um, marginal dollars to invest by retail has been reduced. Um, and I think that it gets partly caught up in the growth story, but there's no correlation really between bonds and crypto, the dollar and crypto. They're all passing correlations that come in and out. You know, suddenly the S&P is correlated for a bit and then it's not. So I don't worry about that. I just look at the network effects over time. But if the Fed increase the size of the balance sheet, then it's all correlated because you're lowering the value of the denominator. So that's why when the Fed increase the balance sheet, what you find is that everything goes up. Now, does it happen when the Fed decrease the balance sheet? Are they going to shrink the balance sheet? And does that crash the markets? If they do do it, markets will stop going up as much because of the fact that you're increasing the value of the denominator. Mm. So it changes that. So, so yes, we saw it last time around. There was a period of time as the Fed were reducing the size of the balance sheet. No, they kept the balance sheet stable. Stocks were sideways for a while. But then even with a stable balance sheet, stocks took off again because the growth story is still underlying. Um, what the market won't like is raising rates it took eight times before the market cracked last time. So it never happens on the first couple of goes. The market has a wobble, but then it shakes it off. Um, so it took eight times last time, and it took the balance sheet taper. And then the market started rolling over. So so you feel like sideways. You, you and Julian Bridgen had, uh, of MI2 had, uh, just filmed your latest macro insider conversation. And Julian seemed a lot more concerned about the risks around that change. So, and so <laughs> Julian's from the silver market. His... Modus operandi, everything in his body is about inflation <laughs> and the Fed are going to take your precious metals away. So, you know, and then, to be fair, he, he nailed the inflation call this year. You know, mm. I was more sanguine. I didn't really get involved, but he, he really saw it coming. So we have that argument because I'm a dyed-in-the-wool deflationist. He's a dyed-in-the-wool inflationist. Well, that's why the conversations are so good. And, and you, were, you were very kind to him entertaining his, his concerns about that. Um, but, but, I, but you know, I can't see so the issue I have with this is, OK, so we've got inflation. What happens? You raise rates. What happens? Markets eventually slow down. The economy slows down. Eventually, the stock market goes down. And eventually, the Fed come back in because they can't allow the collateral of the market, the equity market, the bond market, whatever, to fall apart. So then they stimulate again. So I'm like, well, it's kind of a never-ending cycle of even if it comes off, it stimulates. So I'm not worried by it, really, I guess. And you're not worried that inflation stays high enough that it prevents them from sort of looking after the asset market. Some people that, think they want to take steam out of the asset markets. I don't think they do. Um, I think, um, look, that's the risk to my view is that I'm wrong and growth itself, let's say, later in 20, back end of 2022, is stronger than I expect, and inflation persists at three and a half, four percent. Yeah, that I would be wrong. And if that was the case, then we're going to see a more prolonged bear market in these higher growth tech names, bond yields. I don't think bond yields would move a lot on that, but we get more of this market rotation in the equity market, stuff like that. We, we have a question from JB on the exchange. Uh, since we're talking about you know the potential for all of the tech stocks once again to to take off, what's your opinion of Ark and Kathy Wood? So I'm 
it staggers me that people get emotional about somebody else's portfolio. And people get emotional about Kathy Wood. They don't like it. Why? Because it's all about change. It's all about, you know, non-traditional valuation metrics using things like Metcalfe's Law. They don't like it. I really respect Kathy's view. And yes, she's dealing with this massive rotation out of the names that she owns. It's normal. I have a log chart I have of ARC that I use, look at all the time, a, uh, a monthly log chart. It's about two standard deviations oversold in the, in the trend channel. Most likely, we're at the lower end of the range. $70 is two standard deviations. We hit 78 today. Does it break it? False break? Go higher? Probably. So I am getting very interested in accumulating. I've been talking about this trade for a long time, been waiting for this to set up, letting the inflation narrative get bigger and bigger and bigger, let people throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is the network growth stocks that you absolutely want to own for the next 10 years. We're getting a, an incredible entry point, I think. Now, I understand people think there's technical diff difficulties because she ends up selling liquid stocks to fund the mm -hmm. illiquid stocks. I get that. Let's see how it plays out. I get there's a risk. That's okay. Markets have risks. And we're all adults and we decide what risk we'll take and what risk we won't take. I'll probably take that risk. You know, entry point is really important, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we've seen a lot of concern and a lot of angst over the decline we saw in crypto from the November highs. So if you bought at that time, it's been incredibly painful and stressful for people. Um, but I, but I, in your note, in your in your uh, GMI note to your investors, your think piece in January, you kind of reminded everyone what the gains were in in Bitcoin and ETH uh, last year. I think it's worth reiterating that, right? It depends when you get in. That's right. I mean, you know, last year I had one of the best years I've ever had, and Ethereum, which was my biggest bet, was up four hundred and fifty percent, and Bitcoin was a smaller bet, and I was up, and that was up sixty percent, and a whole bunch of stuff was up hundreds of percent. And that's not to boast about me. It was, a, it was about sticking with the plan that I had and I got the right timing to get in at the right time. So if you remember at the time, I'm a macro guy. I wait for the buses to turn up. I don't try and, you know, um, I don't try to find every trade. I'm not interested in that. I'm not a short-term guy. So I wait and wait and wait. And I waited for that crypto opportunity. I'd been saying for maybe two years, three years that, Crypto and macro are about to meet, and it's going to meet at the next recession. The Fed are going to have to print massively, and this is the time to buy. And I went all in. And I've been talking about the exponential age for an extended period of time now, saying, listen, this is the big trade. The big equity trade here is the exponential age, which are all of these network adoption models of modern technology. So here we are setting up exactly the right trade, which is stuff like ARC or um, Scottish Mortgage, all of these things, they're all coming for the entry point. You get the entry point right at the maximum point of fear when everybody says, this is terrible. That's the point you can drive extraordinary returns if you're a long-term holder. I'm not a trader, so I don't really care about the next three months. If I buy ARC, if, I'm expecting to hold it for five to 10 years. And if I get it right, it'll go up 10x. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think that's so important because there have been a lot of sort of existential questions in this decline by by skeptics 
you know, who will say this is proof it's not working and, and there has to be a more nuanced conversation. I want to I want to circle back to crypto in a minute, but I want to talk about another trade um, as people are looking for opportunity, because in volatile markets, right, you also want to find the opportunity. We've had a lot of questions about that. Can you talk to us a little bit about carbon? Because that was one of your big winners last year, and you just did an interview again. In fact, let's let's play a clip before we talk about it. Let's play a clip uh, from your conversation uh, with um, Lawson Steele, who is uh, one of the one of the folks that you talked to last year about this trade. Let's have a, a, a little snippet of that, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. The whole market, the demand supply imbalance, it's not a story about demand. Okay, demand is moving plus or minus a little bit, but nothing too exciting. It's supply. So, <clears throat> you know, when you've got uh, you know, demand of around sort of uh, eight, nine hundred million or so, uh, you're getting supply reductions of three to 350 million per annum for the next four years. It is huge, right? That's just the automatic trigger. Um, and that's that's what this market is about. And that step change happens in September, and it looks back kind of like a two-year average, give or take, uh, and and adjusts accordingly. Uh, so so that so so really, you've got uh, the 30th of April compliance, and you've got September, which is your adjustment. But underneath all of that, you've just got this massive imbalance. Uh, and and the price going up, which is forcing people to wake up and understand what's going on, and that just increases and 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 uh, you know makes people behave by logically by buying more permits. And that full interview is available on all tiers on Real Vision. So this is something interesting, and and well, I don't think that's on everyone's radar. I love this trade. I love everything about it, and I love it because it came from Real Vision community. So it was this time last year, somebody hit me up with a Bloomberg message that said, I know you, I didn't know the guy from a big bank. And he said, I know you love chart. Take a look at this. I'm like, wow, it's this kind of big wedge pan. I'm like, what the hell is this? He goes, it's carbon. I'm like, tell me about it. What do you do? He was a carbon trader, an electricity trader. So I got him on the phone. He talked me through it. He explained the dynamics, which is that the EU are essentially limiting the amount of carbon availability of credits. And so what happens is they're forcing the polluters to buy more while reducing the supply. I'm like, this looks like a cryptocurrency, right, where you've got a reduced supply and you've got, so they're burning the tokens and here you've got government mandated demand. I'm like, this is incredible. Who should I speak to? So then second part, he goes, you need to speak to our analyst team. Our analyst team, I pick up the phone to this guy. He goes, hey, Raoul, you know me. I said, how do I know you? He goes, I'm a Real Vision guy who won a competition, flew out to see you and had dinner with you in New York. <laughs> so he and the Citibank team talked us through the trade. So I put that on Real Vision. Then, um, then I said, who else do I speak to? They said, well, the best independent analyst is um, Lawson. So I get Lawson on. He goes, well, you need to speak to Pierre Andorand. So Pierre, I've known anyway. He's the world's most famous oil trader. He also happened to be the biggest trader of carbon. So then he came on Real Vision and explained the whole thing. So that's a story of Real Vision, the power of the network and the hive mind and who's there. I put the trade on. It was the best performing commodity last year. So I wanted to get um, Lawson on and say, well, what do we do from here? It's gone up 100%. And so 
Lawson explains the trade, how av- average people can get into it, and where he thinks it goes. And the, the punchline to the story is a lot higher still to come. Which is incredible given the gains. What was it, 91% you were up yeah, in last year? Somewhere close to 100% last year. And it's, and you know, his view and my view is over the next 18 months could do the same again. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So if we if we take that, you know, it had that big gain, he's saying go higher. If we if we if we flip back to crypto for a minute, how are you thinking about this now? And, you know, talk to me about the other coins as well. Because if 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 you got in November, very painful. If if you saw gains like you experienced, we get a lot of questions. Should I continue? Should I hold? Should I take profits? Do I buy more? Do I buy this dip? How are you thinking about that space? Everything comes down to time horizon. Firstly, don't put too much money in that you can't afford to ride the volatility. I've told everybody this for two years now. Expect 50% drawdowns as normal course of business and not calling it a bear market, just calling it a correction. So that's the what we need to deal with. And everybody needs to make their own decision. It's also time horizon. If you think it goes up, you know, 20, 30x over the next five, six, 10, whatever your number is, well, then a 50% drawdown is just small noise on the chart. If you're trading for a three-month time horizon and it falls 50% on you, well, you've got it dead wrong because your time horizon is different. So I am looking to um, to add more to my positions into this kind of market because I don't think anything's changed. Nothing's changed in the network adoption. Network slowed down a bit for the reasons we talked about before. So over time, we see the institutions coming. I'm talking to them every day. I launched a crypto funder funds. We've already put the first $100 million to work. That goes straight into the markets via the hedge funds. You know, that ongoing allocation of assets is, is happening. So it doesn't stop. So it trades sideways for a year. That's great. It tends to mean periods of suppressed volatility lead to hypervolatility. Periods of hypervolatility tend to lead to periods of suppressed volatility. And we've basically had a sideways market where volatility has been falling for since May. Mm. So that's how I think about it. In terms of the allocation of tokens, the answer is I don't know. Yeah. It's complicated. Um, you know, we had a big move in the layer ones, AVAX, Terra, and, um, and um, Solana. Usually chasing the previous theme is a way to lose money for the reasons you're, you said before, is you're not taking advantage of weakness. What you're mm-hmm. trying to do is follow the momentum in a market where people are just rotating. That's usually bad. You can add to momentum trades when the whole market's in momentum, not when it's rotating. So where could the rotation go? That's the question you should be asking. Well, some of these DeFi ones had a big run in 2020, haven't done anything and fallen 70%. Maybe it's DeFi. Maybe it's the interoperability, the ones that allow you to move things from one chain to another. They haven't really had a big run. Maybe it's those. Metaverse have had a run. NFTs have had a run. Um, Layer ones have had a run. Ethereum's had a run. Bitcoin's had a run. So that's you need to be thinking, okay, what hasn't had the run yet? And again, I wouldn't try and look for one particular single token because your probability of success, unless you really know it, 
is super low. Build a basket of stuff, equally weighted. Don't take too much risk. Wait and see. And I think this is why it's so important. All the content on our crypto channel is available for free once you register. Um, and then we've also created now Pro Crypto, the institutional. You can't just look at this as as one chart, right? It's getting more nuanced than that. You have to have more it, education, look, understanding around what's happening. Yeah, even an idiot like me could get Bitcoin and Ethereum right. But now it's complicated, right? You need to know what you're doing. And, you know, I, and that's why we did the, uh, the um, Crypto Pro, because... Even I would reaching out to the Delphi guys all the time, say, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Because it's beyond anybody's ability. Now, they're a big team of 70-odd people who just do this all day, look at different stuff. So yes, it is more complicated. Or the other way of solving for it is choosing one focus area that you become the expert on. That's the other way. There's no way you'll be an expert in all of this. You might be okay with some broad asset allocations by using the kind of strategies that I'm talking about, but we're still a bit hit or miss. I mean, I, I don't really know. So that, you know, I'm I'm guessing too. Yeah. I think the one thing, though, is that clearly between whether we're talking about carbon or we're talking about some of the cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of opportunity. It feels volatile the start of this year, but it seems like there's a lot of opportunity to be had. I think there is. We talked about this on, on Macro Insider, the Real Vision Pro tier, Julian and I, is the opportunity maybe not be here now. The opportunity now in markets like this is to do your homework on what you actually want to do. So we talked about growth stocks. We've talked about carbon that's been kind of chopping around a bit in the last few weeks. We've talked about that. We've talked about is there an opportunity in the bond market on the long side? Maybe there's other trades to be done. So it's the time to do your homework. It's the time to focus on what is my macro view? What am I looking for? What are my signals? What are the chance? When should I get in? Choppy markets are not the time to have high conviction. Fantastic stuff. So many good questions. We need to leave it there, unfortunately. There's never enough time. But, Ralph, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching. The Daily Briefing is observing the Martin Luther King holiday Monday. But Alf will be back Tuesday with Andreas Steno Larson. And as always, the conversation continues on the exchange. Have a good weekend, everyone. Yeah, have a great weekend. And have a great weekend, Maggie. Thanks. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.